Welcome to In Context and Culture, a podcast hosted by pastors Corey Majors and Trent Roseman, intended to clarify and comment on critical issues pertaining to theology, the Bible, and life in the church. Now, enjoy the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the In Context and Culture podcast. My name is Trent Roseman. I currently serve as the next generation pastor at First Baptist Tampa and uh, literally looking forward to this new podcast. My name is Corey Majors. I'm the pastor at West Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas, and uh, it is good to be here with you. So something you may not know, because you probably do not know us if you're listening to this podcast, uh, Corey was actually my youth pastor growing up. Um, we call ourselves friends, I, I, I think, uh, now. Uh, we're uh, a pretty decent age difference, but um, uh, he is someone that poured into my life for uh, a long time, and I'm very thankful for him. He actually officiated our wedding, my wife and I's wedding, uh, just five years ago, upcoming in a month. So, um, yeah, I, I thought we uh, would start out just the podcast by just introducing ourselves just a little bit. So, Corey, why don't you go ahead and just say a little bit more about who you are, where you serve, and uh, just your family. Uh, so yeah, I'm Corey Majors, and um, Trent put it really nicely, uh, but really what he meant was I'm a lot older than he is, uh, but the truth is that Trent was in uh, my youth ministry and really is uh, far better uh, at doing youth ministry than I ever was, and uh, he's just really uh, talented. God has gifted him in such a way uh, to reach students and the next generation, and I'm excited about what he's doing there in First Baptist Tampa. And, uh, but we do have a good relationship and love to joke around with one another, and I consider him a, a brother and a fellow laborer in the gospel. So you were being very sincere there, but I'm going to uh, bring myself down from it and probably bring us both down, because I don't know if you remember this, but uh, so far I have not let anybody do this in my youth group. Uh, back when I was in high school, um, you let me and a friend named Landon uh, take our cars in the church parking lot when it had snowed and do donuts. Uh, for probably about an hour, record it, and then show it on a Wednesday night. Uh, and I'm sure you received some flack for that. Uh, so far, I've not done that with a student. I've done a lot of dumb things, but um, uh, it's memories like that that probably shouldn't have happened that, uh, that you remember. So, hey, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Trent. Uh, like I said, I currently serve at First Baptist Tampa as the Next Generation Pastor here. Um, I oversee young adult ministry, uh, student ministry, and uh, any form of connection that we make with individuals who attend our church. And uh, I'm married to a lady named Jessie, and we've been married for five years now. Uh, we have a son, two years old, named Judah, and we're expecting uh, a second child, a girl, baby girl named Cadence, uh, in July. So uh, that's who we are. I, I just want to uh, hop us right into the subject, if I can. Um, Corey had kind of approached me about making this podcast, and one of the things that he wanted to talk about first, um, and I'm talking to you like you're not on the other end of the phone, uh, which I shouldn't, um, but you kind of mentioned, Corey, that you were interested in talking about pragmatism and um, pragmatism's role in the church uh, and its popularity in the church like today. So just as we're talking about pragmatism, uh, how would you define pragmatism? And that'll just start a conversation um, uh, on the topic that we wanted to discuss. 
Well, um, I would define pragmatism in the church, at least, as um, just kind of notion that the meaning or worth of something is determined by the consequences, like what really happens. And so, um, you know, what results determines whether it's good or bad. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of methodology that churches can use and they think if it gets the right results or it gets numbers or whatever their desired result is, then the, the end, uh, the end, um, justifies the means. And so that's kind of how I view, um, pragmatism in the church. Yeah. As we were talking about it just the other day, I think that's a, a big portion of it. Like you see a, I think people maybe pursue a pragmatic, pragmatic approach to ministry because they've seen in another context that whatever they want to implement has worked. And so they like the results of someone else's, potentially someone else's work, um, whether biblical or not. And so they want to implement it in their own church for the end result, not considering the process by which they may have to get to the end result. And, and in some circ- circumstances, whether by ignorance or by intention, not really considering whether or not the the means by which they approach the ends is even biblical, right? So when I think we talked about through text, when or if the question of do the ends justify the means is asked of a pragmatist, the actions by the pragmatist reveals the answer of the pragmatism, pragmatist meaning yes, right? Whatever business principles or church growth strategies it takes to re- reach, you know, X effect, I guess, uh, we will implement um, oftentimes without consideration of the, the process, um, whether it being extra biblical or even unbiblical. Um, so, I mean, w- yeah. what do you think about that? Yeah, I would agree. And I think I think our tribe, uh, we're both Southern Baptist Convention, but I think our tribe definitely is more susceptible to this because we have sure. this mechanism um, that puts out that if something works somewhere else, they they systematize it and put it out for all. And so um, a lot of times guys will see something that happened, like you said, somewhere else and, and try to implement that in their church and when it's a completely different context. And um, whether it's good or not, most of the time you can't cookie cutter anything into another church. And, you know, we just, we do that because it's easier. Yeah. Um, you know, rather than, rather than, doing the hard work of of prayer and searching the scriptures and asking the Lord to guide us in things, it's much easier to just look at somebody else's work that they have done and say, oh, well, this got them X results. And so I'm going to try to put that in here and, and see if it works. So like, <clears throat> I guess in other words, um, putting something in place because you've seen the results, thinking that whatever... Uh, the process or what you're putting in place will is that you'll see the same results. Meaning like, um, you know, say that this one mega church has used a certain system and they've seen a lot of people saved or a lot of people baptized or a lot of people join the church or a lot of people serving inside of the church. And so we're going to kind of, like, as you said, cookie cutter that system, put it in place in our own church, not considering our own context and our own needs and whether or not the things you know, maybe even whether, I don't know if the person might consider it, whether it's biblical or not, but regardless of that, um, almost making something that is truly up to God's divine sovereignty, a strategy of man to pursue an end that really is not even, even in your control in the first place. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. 
So, uh, you know, as we're talking about pragmatism, what are, do you think, um, and feel free to stir the conversation, steer the conversation wherever you want to, but what are some common ways in which you see pragmatism alive in the church today? I mean, we've spoken kind of, I think, vaguely about the fact that pragmatism is a thing. It's a cookie cutter approach. It puts in place a process that's not thought through for an end that is desired. And, and, and let me just say this, and I think it's worth noting before we look at what might be common is some of what's desired, the ends are probably in some sense well-intentioned, right? I mean, who wouldn't want to see more people baptized? Like who wouldn't want to see more people saved? Um, but yet if that is the goal and we put a strategy that is not prescribed biblically, we're really putting on ourselves um, the a burden to bear that really isn't our burden to bear in the first place, right? Like um, I can't promise that I'm going to baptize a certain amount of people. I can't promise that I'm going to um, see enough people up to a certain quota because ultimately that's not up to me. What's up to me is to not see success in the world's eyes, but to be faithful in God's, right? So what are some practical ways that you see that? I mean, just like today. Well, you know, I was thinking about that and, you know, over the course of my time, either in youth ministry or as a senior pastor, like you always have these strategies and and like you said, very well intentioned, but I think about things that we've done in the past as far as you know, like, let's offer this, and then whenever we get them here, we're going to give them the gospel. It's kind of this um, baptized bait and switch, if you will, um, of <laughs> let's, uh, <laughs> but uh, you, you, like, we used to do things like I uh, have a pizza, we call it a pizza pig out, or like I even did something one time, and it, like, it really was successful as, par- as far as getting people in the building. But I'm not sure it was successful as far as keeping people. Um, and so like what we did one one year, and I've, I've used this a lot in examples, is we did a free cheese uh, night at our youth ministry. And so like people would walk in and we would like throw cheese at this, string cheese at them, and we did a cheesy game show kind of thing. Okay, this, and- was, this is not when I was in it, right? Because I don't remember this. No, 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 no. This was before you. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, um, I mean, honestly, th- this just sounds kind of awesome. So are, are yeah, you speaking well, negatively and, about you it? You know, like <laughs> I had the students uh, put on, I printed up shirts and had, it said, ask me about free cheese. And so like they wore them to school. And uh, oh, and they goodness. got lots of uh, they got lots of interest. Because people would be like, "What's this with free cheese?" And they'd be like, "You got to come to church tonight and find out." Dude, dude this and is so, this is Caruso t-shirts revisited. Uh, but, oh yeah, but but not for to sure. ask about questions about the gospel, just to get people to church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for. <laughs> and so, you know, like we got we did we probably had. 25, 30 kids show up that weren't normally there um, yeah. for, for, for a week. And I mean, I did present the gospel and all that, but, right. but it's the whole idea of bait and switch of, hey, uh, you've, you've told me one thing and now you're giving me something else. And, you know, the ends there, people would say, well, those ends do justify the means because, you know, you're getting them there and they're hearing the gospel. And what if somebody gets saved? Well, I'll just tell you, nobody got saved that night. Um, I, and but what if somebody does get saved? Now, you know, I've heard I've heard lots of people, and I'm I'm not sure where this uh, comes from, but I've heard it multiple times that what you win them with, you win them to. Yeah, and Jared, so I think uh, I think Jared C. Wilson was the gentleman uh, that uh, first coined that phrase, or at least the first person I heard it from, which is phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, there's so much wisdom in that because you know if you, if you say we're going to have this, you know, hype 
or entertainment or whatever it is in the church and you get them there, you've got to continually one-up that. You, you've yeah. got to continually go farther because what's going to happen is some other church is going to have um, some kind of thing that's going to be more attractive to them, and so then they will go there. Um, and yeah. so we just have to be careful in our methodology that we don't you know, present something that's not first of all, biblical, and second of all, something that's going to mislead somebody and they think, oh, well, this is not what you told me it was. Because you don't want to, you don't want to unintentionally lie or misrepresent the truth um, if you're trying to introduce them to the one that is the truth. And yeah, so, that's good. Yeah, and I think a lot of this really flows back. I mean, you, you admitted that we were from a certain tribe. I think a lot of this flows back to we we do want to be biblically faithful and 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 I don't want to just point a finger and say they don't want to be biblically faithful um but there's certain things I think that are worth considering in the way that you know churches are instructed to um uh operate and churches uh uh are given certain orders from God you know um I, I think I think we would both agree that the Bible teaches that the church is first and foremost for uh, believers, right? That it's, uh, as one pastor has said before, um, it's like the locker room before the game. And I'm speaking primarily of the local church gathering. So let me just make sure I'm saying that because absolutely capital C church and local church outside of its own walls is for the world. But um, the, the, the local expression of the body of Christ in a gathered place, which is the word ecclesia, right, is primarily um, to equip sheep, right? Um, uh, and, and so when we're replacing what the local church is intended by God to be, uh, we're really um, pursuing a, a shallow church that's really not, a shallow version of church that's really not from the Bible itself. Now, now, far be it for me to say that we shouldn't recognize that uh the unbelievers could be in the in the church itself, and that, that we don't want our people to invite people to church because, by all means, we do. Uh, I mean, uh, that that might be a way in which someone does hear the gospel, um, and they don't need gimmicks to be saved. So, uh, I mean, we have an example in First Corinthians fourteen where someone uh, shares the gospel, and, and an unbeliever, if they're there, they'll be able to hear it and respond to the gospel. So, I mean, we are not anti-invitation, but to present before someone something that is not what the church is. Um, uh, not only presents a bad view of the church, but really, as you said, uh, attracts a customer that really is going to be a, a customer from then on, right? Because they're going to expect the next Sunday to look exactly like the Sunday before. And we're like, ah, oh, this looks boring, right? The next week when it's actually what the church is in, intended to be, right? So they're, they're excited, not about the, the simple gospel message and the unique gathering of Believers, they're like excited about Shakira being sung from stage, right? Uh, and and some dancing and some you know uh, free free cheese. Whoever does that, you know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. Um, so so th- it's really an it's an expectation that you've set um, because your intention was wrong from the first place to entertain rather than to equip. Um, because here's the crazy thing that I would argue, um, or I, I would say. In the pursuit of equipping sheep, uh, that doesn't strip gospel. That I mean, uh, equipping sheep is, is is teaching the gospel, and as the gospel is being taught to people that are growing up in the gospel, people are hearing it for the very first time. And so you're actually doing two things, not one. You're not holding back from the people God has put you 
to focus on people that, um, you know, you've tried to attract. You're rather teaching your congregation, caring for your congregation, and at the same exact time, clarifying the true gospel for people that might be in attendance. Yeah, and I, th- I think you bring up a good point there because you are doing two different things there. You you are yeah. equipping people and and um, and also sharing the gospel. Like every every sermon we we give should be uh, gospel centered, you know, gospel focused, and so we should be presenting the gospel even while we're equipping the sheep. And and part of the problem with an attractional model or a pragmatic um, approach to ministry is that we we negate the responsibility of the sheep to go after others. And so like if if we just say, Hey, let's, let's put on this show or let's do something that's going to bring people in. We have just told them in essence, even though we don't say this explicitly, we've said, you don't have to go out. And I, and I think we're seeing a result in the church of that now is, is people don't want to go and fulfill the great commission. um, Because number one, we've, we've made a way for them not to have to. Oh man, that's good. And, and, um, and I think that we, we have in essence negated not only evangelism, but discipleship in doing that, because if there's no responsibility to go get them, then there's also not going to be any responsibility to feel like they have to continue in training them. Uh, so that they then can go out. So there's this interruption in the process that Jesus started with the, with the apostles, uh, that they should go out and, and go after people. Yeah, so you, you, what you just described, and correct me if I'm wrong, is basically you're saying that um, when uh, this method is pursued, quite often evangelism is changed from, hey, let me equip you to go and reach your lost friends so that they're saved and then added to uh, the, the people of God and can gather with us as the people of God, rather go, go invite people, which we're not anti-invite once again, but go invite people so that we can evangelize your friends, um, almost, you know, to, 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 to build our number. Um, and we'll work whatever method that makes them feel comfortable to the extent that we'll really cut away from things that are really important. Um, and, and yeah, I think it, it does in some sense can neglect proper equipping, um, yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I'll just say, you know, like I've even I've even told people probably in my church in the last month, um, you know, if, if you if you don't feel like you can share the gospel, bring them here. I'm going to tell them the gospel every right. week. And so, like, you know, um, we have to we do have to equip our people to go do that because there right. is some fundamental lack of knowledge. There is some. Uh, there is some level of fear, not that they shouldn't get over that uh, with the, with the Holy Spirit's enabling, but at the same time, we have to train them in doing that. And so, like, I don't want to, I don't want to throw uh, people under the bus and just say, "Hey, you're not doing this." I'm saying our approach that we've taken uh, has created an environment that's not conducive to uh, the the Great Commission. Yeah, I mean, right now, of course, in Southern Baptist life, we have a focus um, that I believe um, J.D. Greer's been behind. Uh, Johnny Hunt's pushed it uh, called Who's Your One? And I, personally, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but I think it's a pretty pretty good methodology. And yes, it is a methodology, but I think it, it really puts in front of us uh, 
the fact that we always need to be thinking of that one in our lives uh, to pray for, invite, evangelize, whatever it might be. And, and part of that process might just be inviting him to church. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I'm so glad you didn't down that because we're currently doing that in our church. And so. <laughs> did, you, did you think I was going after it or something? No, I think it's I great. Didn't, I, mean, I didn't know. And, and, who, and who am I to take on, you know, of course, J.D. Greer or any of those guys? But, um, hey, hey, let me let me just kind of maybe paint a picture of what um, – because what, one thing you mentioned earlier was that you see oftentimes pragmatism and something referred to often as like the attractional church. And, and, and let's just, just clarify what the attractional church – might be, right? The attractional church, their goals are the things that we've talked about. They're, I, I think, some very well-intentioned to, hey, let's let's get people to hear the gospel, but their focus of doing that is, right, getting bottoms and seats, right, mm-hmm. um, and at the expense of doing whatever it takes. I mean, I've been involved in a church before that says, hey, we'll do whatever... Sh- whatever we can short of sin to get bottoms and seats so that they might have the opportunity to respond, right? And so, you know, churches like that oftentimes, and and I don't want to paint too broad of a brush here because I'm sure there are faithful churches that are doing things like this, um, but uh, an example of maybe a a common uh, method within the attractional church that often uses pragmatism is like an at-the-movie series. And once again, I'm sure I'm downing good faithful churches by doing this, but painting with broad brushstrokes. Um, you know, I've I've seen out in the movies series, and, I, and I've worked in a church before that, um, you know, um, pursued an out the movie series and would have marquee and have a popcorn table and would basically um, put their church. Um, out there on social media by saying something like, you know, you'll have a blast relaxing with popcorn, your favorite picture. And, and, and I'm just thinking in the back of my mind and, and knowing that their focus is showing a good portion of the movie and really trying to build a sermon out of the movie rather than out of the Bible. So I'm like the back of my mind, I'm thinking they're saying something like, you know, you'll have a blast relaxing with popcorn, your favorite picture, and honestly just poor exegesis because we honestly had to spend more time watching the movie trying to figure out whatever verse that we can plug in, unless of course we took it all, you know, from another church. Then you'll hear their attempt at doing the exact same thing. It's a very common thing for churches to do this, you know, at the movie series. Once again, not super against it. But the poll is, a methodology is, hey, come check out a movie. Why would you want to watch a movie, right? Instead of, hey, I want you to see what's unique about us, what's distinct about us, right? And what's distinct is you've got a multi-generational, multicultural people gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, glorifying a God that the world doesn't believe in and living different, right? We should want to, in a lot of ways, appear distinct. Um, and, and let me just say this one more time, and I know I'm talking long here, but like my thought to the, the church member in that situation would be like, hey, look, or, or even the attender, you can look in the Bible in both New and Old Testaments and see Jesus. You don't have to try to find him in your next blockbuster movie, right? And, and I'm just thinking about the church leader when choosing your next series, you know, encourage your church toward becoming more biblically literate, help them see something that's truly in the Bible, which always contains treasure, seldom sought, instead of hoping or helping them to see something that's not truly in their blockbuster, which often contains trash bought, right? Um, the, the price of the pursuit of relevancy is often greater than it's worth. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I've seen I've seen those things too. And, you know, I can remember uh, seeing a church that one time they, 
uh, did this series, and they would use secular songs in their worship set, and oh, literally yeah. just word for word, sing this secular song in the worship set in order to go along with some emphasis that they were doing. And I think anytime you use those kind of methods, what happens is, you know, you might say, well, the the um, the ends justify the means, but what happens is, is what you talked about a minute ago, the ends end up getting changed. Right. Because it's no longer about, you know, let's let's introduce people to Jesus. The the focus then becomes like you said, backsides in the seats. it becomes um uh, buildings like can we build a build a bi- bigger building? Can we, how much do we have in the bank account? And so like right. all of those things become the end instead of what's truly supposed to be the end, which is making disciples. Yeah. And um, so yeah, it's just really it really is a dead end uh, going down that road. I've and got it's afraid. exhausting. Right, because you've always got to one up it, and you're always looking at other churches maybe who've done it in a certain way, and 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 you're trying to be unique, and you're trying to be unique in a way that's honestly not the uniqueness we're called to, right? right. So, um, man, I just had a phrase in the back of my mind I wanted to to, to think through. It's like, you know, you are um, entertaining for the goal of occupying, taking your uh, sometimes pursuing that um, to the detriment of equipping. For more multiplying, right? The, the the attractional church, yes, adds rapidly, um, but at the sacrifice of multiplying strategically, right? Because your focus is on um, uh, uh, attendance rather than you know um, equipping and sending out people. Um, I, uh, I I one time. Um, so, you know, I, I have, of course, been a part of a very attractional church. My background is I, I served at a attractional church at one point in ministry and um, I had a difficult time walking through it um, and, and just looking back at some things in, involved within it. Um, you know, I, I think you've got you, you don't have in many cases a gathered people of God committing themselves to God. God-centered doctrine, um, and uh, instead you have a conference, right, where um, people hype up to attend a place rather than um, people encourage one another within a committed relationship. Does that sort of make sense? I mean, I guess I'm maybe going too far there, but I think there is a difference between a conference and a church, and oftentimes you miss what a church beautifully is by making church just a conference. Well, definitely, because what ends up happening is everybody's coming to see whatever the hype's about, and they're not coming focused on one another in the gospel. Um, so, like, you know, the the great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if you, whenever you're going to church, you need to have those two things in mind. And so right. like you need to be worshiping God and you need to be concerned about the people that are around you, what's going on in their lives, what needs they have that you can meet and however you can serve them. And, and, and in that kind of attractional model, you just, you go because, wow, this is cool this week. Um, they shot t-shirts out of a t-shirt gun at me and you know just like whatever whatever that cool thing might be that's why i'm going not for the lord and not for other people 
Yeah, let's just talk about for a second. I mean, maybe you can add on this list that I'm thinking through, but there are a certain amount of sacrifices that you make when you make a church a conference and not a church. Um, you know, for, for example, um, and, and some of this comes from my own experience, but, uh, you know, you might want to rid with in the process of the means to get to the proper ends of attendance. You might want to rid certain things that are biblical and must happen within the church context, but you can't do because you don't have church membership. You don't have accountability. You don't have your church set up in a way that's biblical. For example, I mean, how do you practice church discipline when there's no membership, when your goal is attendance, when that could hurt your ends, right? Um, so you you start making sacrifices to things that are really for the health of your church because your measurement of a healthy church is a lot of people, not sometimes going through the difficult things that really produce healthy churches. You know, I was talking about um, church discipline with uh, some of my, my young adult students, and I'm like, you know, picture a, a person gets cancer and— um, and when we see, I mean, church discipline described in, in Matthew 18, we see it in 1 Corinthians 5, um, the, the, the pursuit of church discipline is for restoration. Um, it's for even, Paul would argue, salvation in 1 Corinthians 5 for the individual so that they know that they are not practicing righteousness, that they know that that's not how a believer is supposed to live. And so um, to, to keep getting attendance, you might want to sacrifice those things, and I think many do. Um, and, and in turn, they're actually sacrificing what is like chemo to a cancer patient, what is like a shot to an, invi- an individual that needs a shot. Um, it might hurt in the present time. It might be difficult to walk through, but in, in the result, it, it, it brings about a healthy body. Um, so uh, a lot of things I think are pushed back for the pursuit of what is seen to be by the world standards more successful. Yeah, and, and I believe they would look at that as or they would project that as a more loving approach when in mm. reality it's the exact opposite of that yeah. um, because you know to to not tell people truth uh, if they are in error is not loving at all and so you know you, you forsake that you forsake the um, you know those those biblical relationships and you mentioned church discipline a minute ago like you can't have church discipline without discipleship on the front end Hmm. Because if you, if you don't have discipleship on the front end, then what what church discipline is going to feel like is this punishment rather yeah. than the loving desire for reconciliation and repentance and restoration. That's really good. And, and so you, you you really do throw out the baby with the bathwater, if you will. Yeah. So um, just thinking through some of, of these things as we talk about pragmatism, as we talk about the attractional church, um, what do you think, uh, and maybe we need to play the opposite side of this for a moment um, before we come to a, any kind of conclusion, you know, is there, is there room within church life? Um, uh, and stop me if we, we should move farther, but is there room within church life to pursue um, methodology, to pursue um, strategy? Um, because pragmatism both includes that, but I think is more than that. Is, is there room for um, thinking through different things that might not be clearly, explicitly in the Bible? Well, um, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. You popped that one on me. I wasn't prepared for it. But, <laughs> okay, well, well, I did but, write a few things about it, so <laughs> I didn't mean to... 
So, like, I, I think there is. I mean, you know, I, I mentioned a minute ago we were doing the Hoosier one. And so, like, I, that strategy in particular is not sure. mentioned in Scripture. Right. But but it's based on biblical principles of going out and going after. So I think I think that is one of the things you have to use. You have to use the Bible as your standard. And so if you can, if you can garner principles from the Scripture, yes, mm-hmm. you have to be strategic. Jesus was strategic. Um, and what he did, right. um, and you know, like he he targeted twelve men and made them his disciples, and he trained them, and that was done with intentionality. And you, you don't do anything without intentionality. You know, this right. the the church doesn't happen, discipleship doesn't happen, evangelism doesn't happen without some intentionality. And so there there has to be a way in which we go after people, and once we get people how we move them through the process of spiritual growth because it's not just going to inherently happen. So there has to be a strategy and a method to make those things happen. But I think they do have to be based on, on Scripture. Yeah. So so I think we would agree there's, there's, there can be a difference or there is a difference between what might be seen as practical strategy. So long, and I'm assuming here that we're talking about biblical strategy, right? That's not mm-hmm. anti-biblical nor extra-biblical in the sense of, uh, n- not coming under the submission of the authority of God's word. So there's a difference between practical strategy and what we might call pragmatic manipulation, right? So like we can be faithful, you know, proclaimers of the word of God. Uh, you, we can be strategic planners in the work of God. Um, and I think r- really as long as our reliance is not in the wrong place and assuming biblical practices, but also um, n- not assuming reliance is is, is in the right place because there's a fine line between manipulative pragmatism and practical strategy. And I would say that line is really reliance itself. Um, one side is reliance upon God's word and the other side is reliance upon your own work to, to get to the means in which you want to see. Right. Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, what we've said is that, um, uh, and I'm, I've heard this from many different individuals, so I don't know who to quote it, but, um, what we're after is wholehearted reliance, um, in the work of God, being faithful to the word of God, um, knowing that God will not judge us um, based upon um, what we uh, can accomplish separate from him, right? We're not called to be successful, once again, in the world's eyes, but faithful in his. And and we'll do as much work as we can because we want to see the nations come to know the Lord. Like we want to see people from every tribe, nation, tongue, language, worshiping around the throne, um, people that are far from God, brought near by the blood of Christ, um, but knowing that ultimately we cannot accomplish that. All we can do is be faithful, you know, uh, seed layers or seed throwers, um, trusting that God will do the work that only He can do. Yeah, because, I mean, what you're saying is, I'll say it in a different way, is, um, you know, using that attractional pragmatist, pragmatist model really says or reveals what you believe about the gospel. Like, is the gospel the thing that saves people? You know, do we believe Romans one sixteen that the that the gospel is a power and a salvation for all who believe? You know, if if it is, then that's the thing we need to get to people. You know, that's the thing we need to proclaim. And uh, it, it's not by it's not by me or you or or anybody else. And you know, Christ said, "I will build my church." And I think something you said there is extremely important. 
um, there, there's a difference in the idea of what success is. You know, I think we have imported such a business model into the American church that we want to set these goals and, and achieve them. And, and, and if we're not, we're not being successful. Uh, and we've used the wrong metrics along the way. And so one thing you said was faithfulness. Like that is our picture of success is faithfulness. And that's hard. That's hard, I think, even for us who are pastors, because like we want to see results. Like it grieves my heart, (laughs) you know, like whenever we go for long periods and don't see anybody saved and don't see baptisms happen. And so like, like there's a burden on my heart to reach people and, and to see those results. But I also have to acknowledge that the Lord is the one that's in control of that. I just have to be faithful to continue to do what He's called me to do. And I think that's what every believer has a responsibility to do, is to be faithful to that those commands that the Lord has called them to, um, and He'll build His church. So. Yeah, when we were texting, uh, was it last night or the night before? Too okay, late. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think it was the night before, wasn't it? I, I think it was. The, I think it was the night before. Uh, I have a buddy uh, actually um, preaching tonight in student ministry. I've been trying to equip some different, uh, uh, both parents and and leaders to um, to to teach. Sometimes um, I teach both Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights, and so it's been kind of a blessing to to hear what um, God puts on others' hearts. But anyways, we were we were texting each other, and um, you were talking about sometimes if if your pursuit is individuals and seats and your strategy is something that you've taken for yourself and it's your own pursuit, um, how weary that becomes when the pressure is on you to do the work that only God can do, right? And and so you're forced to either manipulate or fabricate or just work until you tire out. And I think where you put your reliance, and this is something you mentioned, where you put your reliance either gives you relief or puts a, a burden on you that is backbreaking, right? Because when I go out and share the gospel, for example, when you go out and share the gospel, when we share the gospel behind the pulpit, when we um, uh, share the gospel with individuals in our offices, um, the, the blessing that we have in knowing that um, our communication is not the, the method. Um, okay, so let me say it this way. Um, their salvation is not dependent on our, you know, uh, eloquent communication. It's dependent on it's dependent on our faithfulness to teach what is the faith you know delivered from the apostles, right? Um, and uh, and that really takes when the reliance is in the right place. It is really relieving. Yeah, it is because I mean I can't tell you how many times I would have gone home and just quit yeah. if if it would have been about me and and, and up to me because. You know, and and I think I think that's even a good way to judge where your reliance lies. Is are are you burdened down by this? Are you um, is it something that that pushes you down, or or something that's a joy for you? Now, I'm not saying that ministry is always just going to be you know rainbows and unicorns and laughing and all the time. Like there's some there's some hardness about ministry and some hardness about church life. Um, but at the same time, like, what does Jesus say? Come to me, all who are weary, weary yeah. and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He doesn't say, come to me, and I'm going to put heavier burdens on you, and I'm going to force <laughs> you down to the ground. You know? Yeah. And so I think, I think we do, we can evaluate ourselves based on who we're relying, about who we're relying on based on how we're feeling 
a lot of times. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, just to just to remind ourselves that what God is after is our faithfulness, uh, not not our success. Um, hey, let's 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 switch the tone just for a little bit, if that's okay, because I think we're nearing kind of the end of our podcast. Let me let me just ask you this, um, and I, we didn't talk about this at all. This is our first podcast, so we didn't talk about much. But uh, this first question, maybe we both can answer this one, and then I have a second one and, and chime in with any other question you might have. Um, the first one is this: What's exciting you right now in the place that you have the opportunity to serve? You know, what's something that's just exciting to you? Maybe it's just one individual um, that's just exciting you. What the Lord's doing in their life? Maybe it's um, you know something to do with something you guys are implementing. What's something that is exciting you right now? You know, honestly, I'll go back to it again, but I really do think it's this Who's Your One campaign. Um, the Lord put on uh, my heart and several other people's hearts, and, and I guess even even prior to that, one thing that's really excited me is is that um, unbeknownst to me, like it came, came to me uh, at a later point, but I began to hear of different groups in our church that began to pray. And just crying yeah, out to the cool. Lord uh, on um, on behalf of the church and to reach the lost. And so, like we got people praying on uh, on Mondays, uh, on Monday mornings, on Tuesday mornings, on Wednesday mornings. Uh, I know there's a there's a group in our church that has said, "Hey, we're going to take one day a week to fast and pray." And you know, just to implement those spiritual disciplines and. And I mean, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Like nobody does that. Nobody just says, I want to give up something uh, without the Holy Spirit working on their heart because they're not just giving up something. They're replacing it with a study of the word and prayer. And and so, um, you know, seeing how God is working, even whenever, you know, number one, I'm not the instigator, which is awesome, um, that the Holy Spirit is. And uh, and then also that he's. He's driving them to pray for things that are specific. And and then, you know, coming out of that into this Who's Your One campaign, you know, like we've got several people and we've we've done a visual out in our uh, lobby that will allow people to see how many people have committed to reach one. Um, if they're having um, if they're having gospel conversations, um, if anybody comes to faith. So it's just a, a visual presentation of what the Lord is doing among his people here at our church uh, and really and in this community. And so uh, that's pretty exciting to me that that um, you can actually see when you walk in the door, God's been at work. That's and cool. um, and so those, those are the things that are pretty exciting for me. How about you? Yeah, I think it is uh, just in agreement with you. I think it's, you know, it's one of those practical strategies to put before your people constantly what God is doing. Like, I mean, I think that's why some people will often do in churches like life change videos just to show and and remind ourselves of, hey, God God is still at work. God is still working Mm -hmm. in the lives of our people. Um, So I think that's awesome. Right now, um, and I know this is a buzzword, and I'm not intending just to hit the buzzword, but like, so in our young adult ministry, we've seen... Um, we've seen growth, and and I and I'm speaking specifically of um, numeric growth. Now I know that numeric growth is not our 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 goal. I mean, we want our people. We don't want a huge group of people at the expense of an unholy group of people, right? Um, but uh, what I'm saying when I say numeric growth is like we've been praying for certain individuals. Um, like we have this prayer time every Sunday with our young adults and. Um, for about 30 minutes, we're just going around the room and saying, hey, who who in your life right now um, that you know of uh, needs to know Christ and how might you, um, you know, pray for them today? And so 
Um, like we've seen a lot of those individuals that have been prayed for, like be a part of our young adult ministry. Like I, I think, you know, I've seen a lot of our young adults catch on to the fact that, hey, they're supposed to be, um, we're all, myself included, supposed to be um, uh, uh, witnesses of Christ in, in the workplace and in the world and wherever God has called us to be. Um, and, and in doing so, like we have, because we're in Tampa, Florida, like, which is the best place in the world, by the way, um, uh, it, like it's extremely diverse. I, I can't even pronounce like four of my young adult students' names. Uh, so like we have people currently right now from uh, uh, the Bahamas. We have people from uh, Curacao. It's by Aruba, if you don't know where that's at. We have people from China. Uh, we have people from Uganda. We have people from Belgium and England. Um, and, and really we have those people because right across the street is the university of Tampa and certain individuals in our group saw the need to just reach the person that came from Belgium that has no church background with the gospel. And so they're now a part of our group. So that's just exciting to me, honestly, um, as it, you know, would be anybody, anybody. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that right now. Um, that is awesome. I mean, you know, like used to, I remember growing up and it's a completely different world than it was when I was growing up, but you used to to reach the nations. You had to go somewhere else. Yeah, and that's yeah. not the case anymore. Like the Lord's bringing the nations to us, and um, boy, that just the fact that you're capitalizing on that and that that um, you know your students are going after them. That's that's super encouraging. Yeah, dude. I don't know if this is politically correct, but I'm the minority in my group. <laughs> like that's pretty crazy. Uh, you know, uh, I, I am. You, you know, uh, as a you know white. Uh, you know, Midwesterner, um, like I think there's one other person, uh, you know, even relatively close uh, from the Midwest as well. Um, everyone else is just from from everywhere, and yeah, it's a it's a it's a great picture of not only Revelation um, but also like Ephesians. Um, you know, we're all in a sense foreigners, um, uh, not family, not part of the family of God, and we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. So yeah, it's it's cool. Let me ask you one more question. We'll close with this. Um, what are you reading right now? You know, is there something you're enjoying that we can maybe share something like that? Well, I'm always, you know, I'm still taking classes. Um, and so like, I'm always reading about three things at once. Um, I just got through reading Holy Ambition, uh, by John Piper, but, um, I had to do that for class and it's one that I've read. It's kind of a excerpt out of his larger book, Let the Nations Be Glad. And it's, uh, it's phenomenal. Uh, I would encourage anybody to read it just uh, about having a heart and, uh, and a holy ambition for what God wants you to do. And uh, he talks about Paul's holy ambition to preach Christ where he had not been named. And, mm. and um, But what I'm currently reading, and I've just started, is uh, The Reason for God uh, by Tim Keller. And, um, you know, it's really kind of his approach and kind of what he's gleaned over the last uh, however many years of ministry in New York whenever he's preaching to skeptics. And yeah. so, you know, I think our I think our world is getting more and more skeptical as we go along of Christianity. And so just being able to read how he approached that and how he dealt with that and the arguments he used um, uh, and maybe just... Um, I don't know if arguments is the right word, not that he's being argumentative, but just the way he reasoned out the faith uh, in Jesus Christ to people who were set against him to begin with, uh, I think is really informative. And I think that's a thing that we're going to have to deal with um, in the future. So what do you read? Yeah, for me, I just read um, 
a book with a student who wants to go overseas and serve in Japan. And, uh, and so we read, um, uh, is it evangelism, the sovereignty of God by J.I. Packers? I think that's the title of it. Um, dude, so good. I mean, um, concise, clear, uh, just comprehensive. I don't mean to say all these C words. I know I, I'm a guy who alliterates <laughs> a lot, but, uh, just super great. Um, it wasn't too long. Um, and it was great, man. Um, right now I just bought two books. Uh, for some reason, my high school students, I have a leadership group um, of about 20, 25 students who meet uh, once a week and, and they're required reading and stuff. And so they're wanting to walk through Revelation right now, which uh, uh, walk to through be on- Revelation. So uh, nice. to be honest with, with you, I'm, uh, I'm a little bit nervous about that. I've got a few different commentaries that I already have. I just bought Kingdom Come by Sam Storms that I'm going to put alongside of some other commentaries. And I just started reading a book by J. Scott Duvall called The Heart of Revelation that hits different themes in Revelation that I'm enjoying right now. Just started it, but enjoying it. I also bought a book, Delighting in the Trinity by uh, Michael Reeves, I believe is his name. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I'll keep this short, but, you know, I think... I, I, I know pretty clearly how to uh, not be heretical uh, when talking about the Trinity carefully, um, but I, I'm so focused often on saying, not saying the wrong things that I don't enjoy what is true. And so I, I think that book will potentially and hopefully stir my affections for the God who is um, Trinity, and, and I'm excited about that. Well, once you get that concept all worked out, you'll have to enlighten me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, man, I've enjoyed talking with you. It's always a pleasure just to get to connect with you. Why don't you uh, close us off any way that you want to? All right. Thanks for springing that on me. Um, <laughs> hey, we, <laughs> hey, we, we didn't we, think we this hope through, you, so. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed uh, this talk about pragmatism uh, in uh, context and culture. And uh, until we talk next time, thanks. Hey, and just make sure you spend some time, uh, you know, send us a review. Um, ask some questions, whatever it might be, uh, so we know how to do this better. And yeah, we'll see you next time.